So thankful to be able to be spend this Sunday with you as well. Um, if you will, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. A couple of months ago, we started a study that's going through the book of Hebrews, talking about how Jesus is greater, better, and more than anything that we could ever, ever expect or ever look for. And last week, we talked about biblical heroes. The first part of chapter three starts talking about one of the biggest biblical heroes of all times. It starts talking about Moses. Moses is my biblical hero. But in that scripture, in verse one, I may be wrong on that, but in that scripture, in verses one through six, the writer of Hebrews reminds us to do one thing. One thing, consider Jesus. Now I want you to remember, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to believing Jews. These are Jews who have professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and these are people who have surrendered to the call. And that question, it's one of those questions that I just can't get out of my mind. I left it with y'all last week, but it's one of those questions I can't get out of my mind. Why is it that people who have surrendered their life to the gospel, people who have surrendered their life to Christ, need to consider Jesus? Have they not already considered Jesus? Have they not made that decision or made that effort to make Jesus their Lord, their King, their Savior? So why is it that they have to consider Jesus? Well, he doesn't stop with that. The writer goes on and he gets into something that we're actually going to take two weeks to talk about. We're not going to be talking about this in one week. We're going to be talking about this in two weeks. And the one thing that he warns us is found right there in the very first portion of this scripture. And we're going to read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19 right now. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear this voice, do not harden your hearts. Underline that. As when they proved me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm, firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear my voice or his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they proved me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? 
Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I'm thankful for the word that we have. I'm thankful for the testimony that we just heard from one of our missionaries. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we're able to come here to worship you through our prayer, through the proclamation of your word, and through the praises of our voices. But this morning, Lord, I pray that we would look at this scripture for what it's saying. When the Holy Spirit speaks, when we hear your voice, Father, don't let us harden our hearts. Father, we live in a time where a hard heart can be found in every home. A hard heart can be found in many congregations. Hard hearts are found all over this world, Lord. But this is a command that you've given us. It's a warning that you've given us. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. This morning, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be speaking clearly to each and every one of us. And this morning, Lord, we pray that through everything that's done, you are magnified. You are glorified. Because you alone, Lord, you alone are worthy. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all, I'm a cute bottle of water here. Mark Lowry said that's enough water for a Presbyterian baptism. I'm not really, didn't get it very far, but he's right. So this morning we're going to be talking, this morning and next week, we're going to be talking about a hard heart. A lot of people don't believe that a Christian's heart can be hardened. A lot of people believe that once you're saved, you're good. Brothers and sisters, that is a lie. A Christian's heart can be hardened very, very easily. Matter of fact, when the writer is writing this, remember, he is writing this to Jews who have professed Jesus as Savior. And after he says who is speaking here, I want you to make I want a couple of things I want you to know. He says, just as the Holy Spirit says, what's he saying by that? First, you need to understand this. He's directing this message to who is given it. When he's directing this message to who is given it, he is actually quoting in the next couple of verses, Psalm 95, <clears throat> verses 7 through 11. So we need to understand that this is Scripture. This is scripture that is being spoke to us. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who's given us this message because as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired, God breathed, by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But now I also want you to know something else. He says, the Holy Spirit says. That is present tense. He's not saying that the Holy Spirit said. He's saying that it says. And it is actively speaking to us today through this word. So when he gives these next words, I want you to realize something. He's speaking to every single one of us. Today, 
If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I'm going to be a little bit transparent this morning. And I'm going to share with you three times in my life where even as a believer, I've hardened my heart. This has not only caused damage to my life, but it's also caused damage to the people around me. Because when a person has a hard heart, they don't just affect themselves. They affect the people that they're close to. They affect the people that they work with. They affect the people that they disciple. They affect the people that are all around them. And I want you to know this. I do not know where the eternity of these children that he's speaking to in this scripture, because he's talking about the children of Israel, stands. But I do know this. He still calls them his children. We are his children. And when he's telling us not to harden our hearts, he is speaking directly to us. The first time in my life that I allowed my heart to be hardened was when I was younger. Now, this is after I had come to know Christ. This is after I had put my faith and trust in Him. But it's hard. It's hard when you grow up in a world where you see happy families together, where you see a mom and a dad and the kids, and they're out enjoying themselves. It was hard for me because I come from an area or a background to where I had no father in my life. My dad was absent. And for many years, this caused a lot of hardship. I honestly hated people because they had what we call the perfect family. They had mom, they had dad. Dad was there at all the ball games. Dad went and took the kids fishing. Dad taught the boys how to hunt. Dad took the daughters to the daddy-daughter dance. It was hard. And during this time, I hardened my heart towards God. Even though I knew deep down inside the scripture that says in Psalms 68 verse 5, and this is the scripture that I heard when I was saved, that I am a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. This is God. I knew I had a father, but yet I'd still allowed my heart to be hard. The next time my heart became really hard was actually on up in the years about the age of 27. Now, I want y'all to be clear on something. I have shared with my wife everything I'm going to say. I know some of y'all have said I use my family as sermon illustrations too much. I have permission, so back off. <laughs> but when I was 27 years old, I had a deep struggle inside of me because I looked around at everybody my age, and you know what I saw? I saw people with good jobs. I saw people with a, with a wife. I see people with kids. I saw people with the American dream. 
the dual-level house, white picket fence. I've seen all of that going on. And I couldn't help but wonder. Because at this time, I had surrendered my life to ministry. I wasn't a pastor yet, but I had surrendered my life to the call of ministry. And I couldn't help but wonder, why is everybody else got it? And why can't I have it? I battled with that for years. It's not easy being a 27-year-old man anywhere or a 27-year-old woman and not have the spouse that your friends have. And see, even in this, I knew that Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 had spoken clearly. I will betroth you to me forever. I knew that I had somebody who loved me I knew that I had an intimate relationship with somebody, but there was still something missing. And that scripture goes on to say, I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. So the first time I hardened my heart was because no dad. Second time I hardened my heart was because no wife. Third time I hardened my heart wasn't too long ago. Wasn't too long ago at all. Most of you know that when we come back from South Africa in 2012, me and Jennifer felt very, very, very impressed that God desired for us to have kids through adoption. We had tried every other way. Don't, go, don't let your minds go there. But anyway, we had tried every way, but children from us just wasn't in our books. So we knew with everything in us when we left South Africa that when we got back, we were going to go through the impact studies. We were going to go through the home studies. We were going to go through all of that, and we were putting our hat in the name for adoption. 2012, after we got back, it wasn't long after that we found out about a Christian organization. We got partnered up with them. We went through classes. We had to drive to Atlanta for 12 weeks, once a week, to get all this done. We went through the home study. We went through the impact training. We went through it all. And 2012 was over. Then come the waiting. 2013. 2014. 2015, 2016. Many opportunities were put before us, guys. We would have calls where people knew that their child was about to go into a, the DFAX system. We had mothers who had found out about us that they were about to have a baby that they couldn't raise. And all those opportunities, every single time, we got our hopes up. But for four straight years, every time we got our hopes up, we also got our hearts crushed. 
one mother. Bless her heart. Seventh day after, the seventh day after she had had her baby, when it come time for her to surrender her lot rights, she told us she couldn't do it. That was December 24th, 2016. And I'm going to be honest with you. My heart got very hard. My heart got so hard that I, we were ready to sell our house. We sold our SUV. We were ready. We were still, I was still pastoring here, and I was still committed to pastoring here. But I thought God had set my plan something else. But the opportunity or the, even, the, even the invitation of somebody saying, I know somebody, I know a kid. We just couldn't put ourselves through it. Now, I know your situations may not be like mine, but I do know this. Every single one of you have a situation in your life that is causing your heart to grow hard. Maybe it is something that to deal with your family. Maybe there's some brokenness with your mom and your dad or maybe with brothers and sisters, but this has caused your heart to grow so hard. Or maybe it is a situation with your spouse, husband and wife, or the lack of spouse. And this situation has gone on for so long that again, it's caused your heart to grow so hard. Maybe your situation has nothing to do with not having kids. Maybe your situation has to do with having kids. Sometimes kids can be difficult. Y'all know this, right? But this situation has gone on for so long that it has caused your heart to grow hard. And there's a couple of things I want us to talk about today about how we should respond to a very, very hard heart. Verses 7 through 11 give us a clear understanding that this can happen to every single one of us. But verses 12 through 19 Tell us how we can safeguard against it. In verse 12, he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Sometimes we got to be real with ourselves. Sometimes we got to call things what they are. Our bitterness, our anger, our hatred, all these things that we have going on inside of us, what they are is they are a hard heart. It's a heart that has grown hard over the years because of the things that have happened. And the most important thing that we can, be aware, that we can do is that we have to be aware. We have to be aware that our hearts can be hard. The condition of our hearts is something that we think nobody else can see. But let me tell you something. The condition of our hearts is not something that we easily hide. We can't hide it. It shows on our face. It shows in our body language. It shows in our attitude. That condition of our heart is something that we will never hide. And that's why Proverbs told us to guard our hearts above anything. Because out of it comes all the issues of life. So when does this hardness and how does this hardness of heart start? 
I'm going to be honest with you. I think a lot of this hardness of our hearts starts back in middle school. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, listen to me for a second. I have no idea what it's like to live in your world. I really don't. When I was in middle school, it was completely different. We took our report cards home. Some of us did. (laughs) Y'all don't have that luxury. Y'all have power school. Your parents know about it before you even know about it. Sorry. We had phones with cords on them. Some of us had a rotary dial. If we were to have to text with that, can you imagine how long that would take? It'd be insane. We didn't have internet. We had encyclopedias. Oh my gosh. So horrible. So to say that we don't understand the world that you middle schoolers and high schoolers are living in, I will tell you this. I completely agree with you. I don't know the world that you're living in. But there's a couple of things that I do know. I do know what it's like to want to be accepted. I do know what it is like to want to be accepted. I do know what it's like to want to be valued. And I do know what it's like to want to fit in. See, it's during these middle school years that we really start struggling with all these issues. When I was in kindergarten, did I care if anybody liked me? No, I didn't. Go play G.I. Joe and my day would be fine. I'd go find some firecrackers, completely different. And then I'd go blow up my G.I. Joes and everything would be fine. Some of you are saying, why is a kindergartner got fireworks? That's my mom. She's back there. But I didn't worry about these things. But when I got into middle school, I started noticing a lot of things about myself. And you know what I started noticing most about myself? I started noticing there's a lot of things about me that I didn't like. I didn't like that I was starting to have hair grow under my arms. I did not like that I was almost six foot in sixth grade. People look at you weird when you're almost six foot in sixth grade. I didn't like that I was overweight. I did not like all these things about me. So what did I start doing? I started trying to prove myself. And how did I start trying to prove myself? Tried everything I could to make people like me. And one of the tricks that I learned to make people like me was in my gift of sarcasm. It's not a gift, I promise you. I'm a very sarcastic individual. I'm a very critical person. And I realized that I could use this to my advantage. The only problem is when I used my sarcasm and my critical thinking to my advantage, there was always somebody who was on the receiving end of it. So I do know what it's like to want to fit in. And I also know what it's like to want to fit in even at somebody else's expense. 
And I know some of you are saying, Scotty, what does this have to do with hardness of heart? When the children of Israel are going around the wilderness and they're out there, they're out there in the heat, they're out there without water. They're out there with not knowing exactly where they're going. What's the first thing that they start doing? They start being critical. And a lot of people will say, well, yeah, they got critical of God. No, you need to reread it. Because the first person they got critical of was not God. The first person that they got critical of was Moses. Moses was given the plan. Moses was given the idea. Moses was told what to do with the children of Israel. And the children of Israel were having to trust him on that. But after a little while of them being disobedient, they got to where they couldn't trust Moses no more. Were they right in that? Absolutely no. So what did they do? They started getting critical. They started questioning everything about him. They started insulting him. They started jabbing at him. And these types of things is what happens when we start to get a hard heart. See, the truth of the matter is, our hardness of our heart really has everything to do with us and nothing to do with the people around us. Most of the times when people lash out at me or when I lash out at others, you know what? It has absolutely nothing to do with them. It has something to do with what I'm dealing with at home, what I'm dealing with at work, or what I'm dealing with with the situation in my life. See, our hardness of heart really does not have anything to do with others. The children of Israel's hardness of heart didn't really have anything to do with Moses. It had everything to do with themselves. They saw what everybody else had, and they wanted it. Their hardness of heart come from them not being content with who they were and what God was calling them to do. Self-awareness is something that we've got to be very, very, very aware of. All of us have things about ourselves that we don't like. And it's okay to be aware of those things. But never miss what God says about you. God says that before you were born, he created you with his hands in your mother's womb. I want you to think about this. Everything else God spoke into existence. He just spoke it. He sneezed and the galaxies appeared. But when it come to you, God got his hands dirty. Not only did he say that he created you with his own hands, he even said that you are his masterpiece. And I get it, guys. There's lots of days that I don't feel like a masterpiece. This is not a masterpiece right here, Itton. This is a master mass. Then there's a masterpiece. But in God's eyes, he sees us as his masterpiece. It's easy for us to be self-aware of everything that we're not, but why is it that we cannot be self-aware of who he says we are? 
Why can't we take him at his word? The criticalness, the hardness of our heart, it doesn't start with God. It starts with our doubts. It starts with us. And the crazy thing, like I said before, it doesn't just affect us. It affects the people that we're around. Unfortunately, you know what? I hear a lot of bickering. I hear a lot of bickering. So do you. You turn on the news, what do you hear? You hear bickering. You go to a family event, what do you hear? You hear bickering. You go to the movies, what do you hear? You hear bickering. You hear people, you know what I'm talking about. You get sick of it. You get sick of it. But one of the most dangerous thing about a hardened person is the only thing that a hardened person does is with their bickering, they harden others. You know, last week we talked about Moses and his one mistake. His one mistake recorded in the Bible, of course, after the murder, after God had called him into this. The people of Israel are grumbling because they don't have no water. God speaks to Moses, says, go speak to that rock. Water will come out. He comes out of the tent. The people are still bickering. Where's the water, Moses? Where's the water? In a fit of rage, what does Moses do? He takes that stick and hits that rock. Those people don't understand it. He's lucky he didn't hit them. But hard people do nothing but harden other people. And that's why this morning is in here for us. Because one thing that a church should never be is a group of hardened heart people. A church is supposed to be a people of restored values. People who have been reconciled to God. People who have freedom. Not people who are hard. Not people who are grumpy. Not people who are disgruntled. And I want you to look right there. What it says in verse 13. It says, but encourage one another. Day after day. What does this mean? Continual encouragement. Continual encouragement. This should be the attitude of our hearts. Jesus told his disciples, by this one thing, this one little thing, the world will know that you are my disciples for the love that you have for each other. Not for the criticalness that you have for each other, not for the criticism that you have for one another, not for the bickering that you have against each other or the gossip you have for each other, but for the love, the love that you have of each other. And this is why I think we have a lot of hard churches. This is why I think we have a lot of people who have shut themselves off to church in general. They come, they sit in an assembly, they desire to be fed, they desire to be encouraged, and when they get in there, some of the things they hear sounds a lot, a lot like what they hear on CNN. Guys, this is not what we're called to do. And I want you to understand the urgency in this because he goes on to say, as long as it is still called today, that means immediately. You know, we're bad about this. We're really bad about this because we can see somebody and we know that they're going through a hard time and you know what we do? Oh, I'm not gonna involve myself in their business. I'm not gonna involve 
myself and what's going on with them. And I got to honestly ask myself sometimes, when I do that, am I really doing that because I am being sensitive to their privacy or am I doing that because I just don't want to get involved? Let's be honest, we all do it. We don't want to get involved. This scripture right here is telling us, get involved. As long as today is still called the day so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When it comes down to it, guys, a hardened heart is a sinful heart. And a sinful heart needs repentance. A hardened heart is not a terminal condition. It is a condition that can be repaired. But a defiant heart one that continually chooses to stay hard, one that continually resists hearing the word of God. I'm gonna be honest with you. There's no fix for it. There's no fix for it whatsoever. And I know some of you are thinking, but Scotty, you have no idea what I'm going through. No, I do not. And I'm not going to pretend to know what you're going through. But I can tell you a couple of realities. Most of the people that your heart is hard against, they don't even know that you have a hard heart towards them. The hardness of your heart most likely isn't affecting them at all. It didn't keep them up at night last night while you sit and thought about it, like it kept you up. It didn't bother them throughout the day. It's not on their mind right now. The only person that a hardened heart will destroy will be the person that has it. Does it affect others? Absolutely. But a hardened heart will always destroy the ones who have it. So let's go back. Let's go back to what the the writer of Hebrews first said. Consider Jesus. Let's take a quick snapshot through the life of Jesus. Jesus is born in a very, very, very hard time. As soon as he's born, his family have to uproot and move to Egypt because somebody wants to kill him. After this Pharaoh, this king dies, they're able to move back. A lot's not said about Jesus between the ages of somewhere around eight to 30. But once we get to 30, we start to see a lot of things. When Jesus really starts his work in ministry, the first thing that happens to him is he's in the desert and he's tempted. Three times he's tempted to harden his heart towards God. And all three times, what does he use? He uses the scripture. He uses the scripture that is God-breathed by the Holy Spirit He uses the scripture that is the word himself. After a little while, 
He gets this tw- group of 12 guys. And this group of 12 guys, I mean, if you read it for what it says throughout the Gospels, this group of 12 guys, they're a bunch of knuckleheads. They do a lot of stupid things. They make a lot of mistakes. They do things a lot of the ways that Jesus wouldn't do them. And for three years, he stays with them. Not only that, he has a lot of people who say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I am yours. But when the rubber meets the road, we find out that their words are nothing more than meaningless words. There's no action behind them. They promise him that they're going to do something, but when it comes down to it, they do absolutely nothing. If that wasn't bad enough, he's got a group of guys, a bunch of religious gentlemen who really don't like what he's doing. So every day they are trying to do something to catch Jesus up. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. He's constantly being hit day in and day out with all these foolish questions. What about divorce, Jesus? What about healing on the lame? What about working on the Sabbath, Jesus? Constantly, constantly, nothing but bickering. And if that wasn't bad enough, one of those 12, one of those 12 that he had selected to be his first disciples decided one day that, you know what? I don't know that I'm too into this. These guys over here have offered me 30 pieces of silver if I tell them where Jesus is going to be. You know what? I think I'll I'll go for the silver. I've had three years of this Jesus stuff. That's enough. Now I'm going to go for the money. After he's captured... His beard's torn out. He's beaten, unrecognizable. He's whipped with a cat of nine tails, which strips every bit of the flesh from his back. Then he's marched up a hill bearing a big cross beam, a huge cross beam that weighed probably just as much as him. And when they get him up to the top, they nail him to this cross, hang him up for the world to see, naked, ashamed, humiliated. He looks down. There's only a couple of ladies that he knows and one of the 12. The rest of them have scattered off. But when he's watching all that's going on, when he's seeing all this happen, when he's experiencing all this, did he ever harden his heart? Let's be real. In our mind, did he have a reason to harden his heart? Absolutely. Absolutely. Matter of fact, he had a better reason to harden his heart than anything that we can come up with. But when he looks down at those people that have done all of it, and you've got to understand, when I say he's looking down at those people, he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He's looking at the people, the people that he came to die for. 
the only words that he speaks to the people is, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Jesus had every reason in the world to have a hard heart, and he chose not to. So why do you choose to hang on to it? Why do you choose to hang on to the bitterness? Why do you choose to hang on to the hardness that's developed from the situations in your life? Why don't this morning you ask Jesus to help you let it all go? Pray with me. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for all the times that my heart's been hard towards you. And you know, Father, when I think about it, all those times that my heart was hard at you, you had nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, most of the times, it was other people's choices or even my own decision that led me in the situations that I was in. So Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the times that I've allowed my heart to grow hard. Forgive me for the times that I have heard your voice and I have hardened my heart. But this morning, Lord, I pray that every single person here that hears your voice will not allow their heart to grow hard. Matter of fact, today, Lord, I pray that we would let go of the hardness that has taken us for way too long. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the redemption that we have in you. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that paid the debt for our sin. And we thank you, Lord, that when he had every opportunity in the world to be hard, he chose to forgive. Father, help us to consider Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we ask that you do what only you can do this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So where you at? Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.